I am Clavius, a Roman centurion, and I will never be the same. You see, today was crucifixion day, and I was on duty. I will never forget it as long as I live. I crucified the one that people called the Christ, the man that called himself the Son of God. And you see, I've been in many battles and I've had to do many crucifixions. I've seen many men when they're going through the toughest times of their lives. And on those days, I can tell what kind of a person they truly are. You see, their true colors come out. Some people get really proud and act like they're better than everyone else, and others get really sad and humble. But no matter what, the fear makes them show their true selves. When someone is being crucified, whatever's inside of them comes out on display for everyone to see. Today, you see, today is a day that I will never forget. As a Roman centurion, I've witnessed brutality, pain, and suffering. And I've seen many men sentenced to the worst of their punishments. But today's crucifixion was different. I had the terrible duty of crucifying Jesus. You probably already know about him. He was a man who spoke of love and forgiveness, and who many people believed to be the Son of God. But to the authorities, to them, he was just another criminal, and so he was sentenced to die on the cross. As we prepared to carry out the punishment, the city, the city itself seemed to gather around us. People were shouting and jeering while others were weeping and crying. And then the other two men were crucified with Jesus. Alongside him, they were both thieves, both being punished for crimes that they had committed. As we lifted each man onto his cross, something strange began to happen. The crucifixion seemed to bring out the worst in each one of them. One of the thieves was angry and bitter, cursing and spitting at anyone who came near him. Yet the other thief was quieter, resigned to his fate, but still filled with deep sorrow. You don't often see moments like this up here at the skull, you know, at Golgotha. Moments when a person's life is slipping away before their very own eyes. I've seen more of those on the battlefield when soldiers are mortally wounded and the fear sets in. That's when all the regrets and mistakes of their lives start to spill out like a floodgate has been opened. When a man is crucified, you see, he is stripped of everything. His clothes, his pride, his defenses. The cross lays bare his flesh and his spirit, leaving him exposed for all to see. And in many years of crucifying men, I've never seen anyone react differently. They're either full of arrogance or consumed by humility. But then, but then there was today, the day that I crucified Christ. He was different. Even as we stripped him naked and lifted him up onto the cross, he showed no trace of arrogance or fear. Instead, instead he radiated a sense of peace and love that I've never seen before. As I stood there, watching him suffer and die, I couldn't help but feel a sense of awe and wonder. It was like the cross had no power over him. He was already free in both flesh and in the spirit. In that moment, I knew that everything was different. You see, the world would never be the same again, and neither, uh, neither would I. Just a week ago, I witnessed something incredible. The whole city, yes, the whole city was in a frenzy, throwing their cloaks and palm branches before him as he rode into Jerusalem on a donkey of all things. It was like 
It was like he was the king of the Jews or, or something like that. But now, but now everything has changed. Today I watched as Christ was condemned to death and hung on a cross. He was so strange, so, so unreal, so eerie. The sign that Pilate asked me to post above him read, King of the Jews, just like the people had shouted a few days before. And yet, now, now those same people were an angry mob shouting for his death. Crucify him, crucify him, they cried out in a furious frenzy. What's even more heartbreaking is that they valued him less than a murderer named Barabbas. Even Pilate, who always finds fault with everything, could see that there was no real reason to condemn this man. It just didn't make any sense. As I stood there, watching the crowd jeer and taunt him, I couldn't help but wonder, how could they have turned on him so quickly? How could they have gone from cheering him as a king to condemning him as a criminal? We never whip people when we are going to crucify them because we want them to be able to carry the cross up to the skull, up to Golgotha. I think that Pilate was trying to appease the people's rage and prevent a riot, so he ordered me to have Christ whipped with the cat of nine tails. 39 times we whipped him for a total of 351 lashes. He was unrecognizable. He was unhuman-like. We stripped him and whipped him. The men overdid it. They spit and struck him. I should have stopped my men, but to my shame, I joined in and spat on him as well. You know, you know that wreath that Caesar wears on his head? Well, one of my men also made a wreath for Christ's head, but instead of using the typical laurel, he used thorns from a flowering plant that grows on the walls of the Praetorium. We used my cloak to dress him up as an emperor, but as you can see, it's now covered in blood. We made fun of him a lot today. We kneeled and saluted him as if he were a real emperor, and the whole time, the whole time, Christ never said a single word. He just looked at us with compassion, not with hatred or fear. I have to admit, it was unnerving. I'd never seen anyone react like this before, and my men became even crueler just to see if they could get him to break. But he never did. He just kept looking at us with those eyes full of love, grace, and compassion. A man in that position should have been fighting mad, seething with anger. Where did that peace come from? What was in his spirit that gave him such depth? After the beating, Christ was in such bad shape that he couldn't even carry his own beam. So I had to press a civilian into service to help him. Simon of Cyrene, help the Christ carry the cross. As we made our way to the cross, women in the crowd were wailing and crying, and then something incredible happened. Christ turned to them and blessed them. Can you believe it? He thought of others and showed them kindness even in his pain and suffering. I have to admit, at that moment, I thought, he must be crazy. I'd never seen anyone on their way to Golgotha stop to bless anyone let alone a group of children and women. It was inconceivable. But as I 
looked at him, struggling under the weight of his own cross, I began to feel a sense of pity for him. Something about the way he carried himself with grace and dignity, even, even in the face of death. He was truly remarkable. I had an idea at the skull. Before we lifted him onto the cross, maybe, maybe I could make things a little easier for him by giving him some wine mixed with gall. You see, it's a bitter concoction that we often use on the battlefield to help ease the pain of a dying soldier. But when I offered it to him, he turned his head and refused to drink. I was taken aback by his refusal, but I didn't force him to drink it. In that moment, I couldn't help but wonder, what kind of man turns down even the slightest relief from such unbearable pain? Most men I've seen on the cross struggle and thrash about in unbearable pain, trying to escape their own agony. But he, he was unlike any other. Despite the searing pain of the spikes driven into his hands and his feet with an iron mallet, he remained still and patient, as if he made peace with his suffering. It was so strange. After we had finished the crucifixion of the three men, I stood there and watched Christ as he hung there, dying. He had captured my curiosity. How could a man die like this and still have such peace? Around noon, some ominous clouds rolled in, making the already somber atmosphere even gloomier. For the next three hours, I watched as he hung there in the darkness, struggling for each breath, as someone who's become somewhat desensitized to death in my line of work, I have to admit that this was starting to get to me. A large crowd gathered around us and watched my men gamble for Christ's robe. More people than usual were there to witness the crucifixion, including some important Jews. They took pleasure in taunting and jeering at Christ and my men were no better. But as I watched it all unfold, I couldn't help but be struck by Christ's resilience. Despite the insults and abuse he endured, he remained stoic and composed, exuding a sense of compassion that was almost palpable. It was as if he had transcended the cruelty of the moment, rising above it to become something greater. In that moment, I knew that he wasn't just any man on the cross. He exuded hope and grace in a world that so desperately needed it. The thief to his left shouted angrily, mocking and insulting Christ. All while the thief to his right had come to realize that there was indeed something different about this man. He had moments in which he saw divinity radiate from the Christ that wore a crown of thorns. Lord! Remember me when you come into your kingdom, he cried to Jesus. And Jesus looked into his eyes with a tender voice. He replied, I tell you the truth. Today, he will be with me in paradise. It was then that he did something unimaginable. He looked up into the sky and asked his father to forgive us. Forgive us? We were slowly and painfully killing him, mocking him all the while, and yet he was forgiving us. He said that we didn't know what we were doing. I couldn't believe it. How 
could anyone do such a thing? It was inconceivable. At that moment, I felt the weight of guilt and shame descend upon me. If it had been me on that cross, I would have been like the first thief, angry and scared out of my mind. But now, standing at the foot of the cross, while he hung covered in blood, I couldn't help but think of all the cruel and evil things I had done. In that moment, I felt unworthy to even be near this man, this extraordinary being who could forgive even his own executioners. Unexpectedly, he cried out that he was thirsty. I felt compelled to do something, so I offered him what little we had left, the dregs of the sour wine that we had been drinking. It must have been a strange sight, <laughs> a Roman centurion, offering wine to a condemned criminal. But I didn't care anymore. As I lifted the sponge to his lips, the crowd started mocking him once again. But in that moment, I didn't hear their taunts. All I could hear was the sound of his labored breathing. And all I could see was the agony etched into his face. Looking straight into the heavens, he exclaimed, Eli, Eli, lama sabachthani. The crowd thought that he was calling on Elijah, but I understood enough Aramaic to know that he was crying out to God, asking him why he had been forsaken. As the moments passed, I watched his breathing become more and more labored. Finally, with great effort, he shouted, It is finished. At the very moment, the ground began to rumble and shake beneath us, throwing some of the crowd to the ground. The temple veil tore in half. The sound of that veil splitting was deafening as it ripped and tore. Starting from the top and going all the way down to the floor, it was as if invisible divine hands had reached out from the heavens, grabbed it, and ripped it to shreds and discarded it. My men were visibly shaken by the sudden earthquake. They were overwhelmed with fear, and I heard them say, This man truly was the Son of God. Then, with a sense of calm that defied all logic, he spoke his final words. Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. Despite the chaos and violence that surrounded us, his words radiated a sense of peace that I could feel deep in my bones. It was then that the truth finally dawned on me. It took me a little while. Some might say I'm a bit slow, but I finally understood what this man truly believed. He didn't see God as some distant abstract force or part of some grand brotherhood of mankind. No, for him, God was something more personal, more intimate. He truly believed that God was his father and he was one with him. It was a startling realization, one that left me feeling both humbled and awestruck despite the violence and chaos of the moment. I couldn't help but feel a sense of wonder and reverence for this man and his unwavering faith. As I watched, I saw him exhale his final breath and slip away into death. It was as if he had chosen that precise moment, as if he could have left his body at any time, but had been waiting for something to be completed. I couldn't help but wonder 
what that something was. Looking back, it's almost as if he needed to experience the full measure of suffering. To go through every last bit of agony and pain. It was no wonder he refused the painkiller. He wanted, he needed to feel everything. And yet, despite his obvious agony, there was a sense of purpose in it all. I remembered something that he had said during the trial before Pilate earlier that morning. Something about being a king, but that his kingdom was not of this world. He said that his life's purpose was to show us the truth. And now, as I watched him die, I couldn't help but wonder what that truth was and what it would mean for all of us. That was the truth, the purpose of his life. To show us all the truth of his divine nature and as I stood there in awe, I knew that I would never be the same again. I bear witness to what I have seen and what I now know to be true, that Christ is indeed the Son of God, and that He willingly gave up His life on that cross. He did not run from it. He did not hide from it. He embraced it fully and completely. Through His sacrifice, He was showing us the truth that the world must know. And now, looking back at it all, I understand that truth that he was the Son of God, the Son of the Most High God. But in the wake of his death, I couldn't help but wonder, what good is this truth now? He is gone. He is dead. Oh God, I killed your son. Cover me, God. Cover me. Take my sin away. I didn't know what I was doing. Oh God, I didn't know what I was doing. I didn't know what I was doing. He said, Father, forgive them, for they don't know what they are doing. Oh, my God. You mean to tell me that you have forgiven me even after I have killed your own son? Oh, God, your love for me. Is it that great? This is the truth, that he came to show us that God's love knows no bounds. That he so loved us that he gave his one and only begotten son that whosoever believes in him would not perish but have eternal life. I am Clavius, a Roman centurion. I am the one who crucified the Son of God. And yet, because of God's incredible love and mercy, I am forgiven.